0: The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia.
1: Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association. Welcome to Season 5 of Retail Therapy, proudly brought to you by American Express. This season, I'll be chatting with a great lineup of leaders in Australia's retail industry right here in the Amex Lounge, including the CEOs of some of the biggest retailers in Australia and across the globe. We'll be finding out what makes them tick, what defines their leadership style, and how they got to the top of their game. Joining me for some retail therapy today is Tanya Deans, president at Haynes Brands Australasia. Tanya is a retail fashion guru overseeing iconic Australian brands such as Bonds, Sheridan, Burley, Champion and more. And you wouldn't believe it, but Haynes started off manufacturing Dunlop Bicycle Tires. So we're going to hear more. What a journey. Tanya, welcome.
0: Thanks, Paul. Nice to be here.
1: Now, you've been involved with Haynes and its respective brands for decades. I can't believe that's the case. You must have started when you were 15. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Talk us through how it came about and some of the changes you've seen and steered along the way.
0: Yeah, I've Left university and worked for a big multinational and kind of realised that structure of sort of multinationals and it's very process-driven wasn't quite my thing. And so I, I got an opportunity to join what was the old Pacific Dunlop back in the day, um, working for a little brand called Burley, which, you know, wonderful bra brand, beautiful, beautiful history, and I literally felt like I was coming home. And I think that was probably because at the – so fashion – or apparel has always sort of been in my blood, a little bit of an anecdote. But my mum was a seamstress. She worked for a high-end apparel business in York Street wow. in the early I don't know, nineteen thirties, nineteen forties. I love these stories. And so I, I grew up literally with my mum talking about fabrics and construction, and she used to tell me the story how she'd go to the Saturday dance every, every single week, and every week she would make herself a beautiful frock for the dance, and you know she would go into detail. I like was the junior navy with the grog white grog grain you know, ribbon and the pearl buttons and. And so I guess all of that kind of just that love of of fabric, as I said, construction and, and fashion yes. was always sort of a part of me. And so when I kind of stepped into this apparel space, I went, wow, this is this is exactly where I, I needed to be. So I mean Pacific Dunlop then became Pacific Brands, then went into private equity, then bought by Haynes, you know, all the iterations yes. along the way has just it's sort of provided me so many different learnings, different experiences, different brands, different people, different business models. So it's really kind of ticked so many boxes for me over the, cause I know that I'm a bit unusual. Well, maybe I'm sort of the end of the generation that kind of stayed with an organization for a long time because nobody does it anymore. But, you know, it ticks so many boxes for me and I got the opportunity to work with so many fantastic people who kind of, whether they knew it or not, really sort of mentored me along the way. And I think it's so important on your leadership journey that, you know, you, you find those people that really believe in you and really support your, support your career. And I was Totally blessed to have that. I think so many leaders say that they were blessed to have somebody that just believed in them and supported them on uh, along the journey. But you know, it's been, it's, it's, it's not been perfect. It's had its, had its ups, plenty of its ups and downs. Yes, um, but I think certainly retail and apparel is just something that. Really, kind of fulfills me at my core. Yeah. I go to work every day. I've always loved what I do. What do they say when you love what you do? You never work a day in your life, True. and and never was a truer word said for for me on my you know individual journey.
1: When you think about your pedigree or heritage, yeah. let's let's put it both ways. I guess your mother was a seamstress. Yeah. You've sort of had this grounds ground up. Sort of grassroots learning. Yeah. What do you think about for next the new generation? I mean, no one you, learning to be a seamstress, learning to sew. These are crafts that are uh, a bygone era now. So, yeah. w- what do you think about when you think about the next generation or the current generation actually learning that that craft, that skill? When it comes to sewing fabrics, color choices, all the things that have sort of become embedded or innate for you, a part of your 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 background. So, how does that? that skill get passed on. Yeah, it's a really
0: great question. So much of that has unfortunately lost. Although I sort of feel that probably kind of with the mindfulness around, you know, planet and environment, I wonder whether some of that will just start to yes. get ignited again a little bit. And maybe that's a hope as opposed to what will happen in in reality, but you know, I think if you can connect the dots with something that, you know, you're really passionate about as an individual, whether that's something that you you were experienced as part of your childhood or not, I think it's about finding that passion point because, you know, it will just make your career journey that much more, much more valuable. As I said, I really, really hope that some of that old craftsmanship just returns. returns. And look, you, you raise a
1: really good point because I do think there's that possibility. I've never thought about this before, but we're hearing of some department stores in internationally introducing reintroducing Haberdashery yes. as an example, where yes. which were, you know, deleted decades ago because people were certainly looking at buying more garments off the rack. Yes. So right. I'm hoping that, you know, that whole idea of sustainability in circular fashion starts to bring some of that craftsmanship I, yeah, back. Yeah,
0: I, I agree. You know, whether it's repurposing something or just making something from the ground up or whatever that looks like, I genuinely hope that happens too.
1: Now you've sort of grown up at Haynes and um, you've got this role as president. I quite like that. I'd like to be called president.
0: <laughs> well, I get called Madam President.
1: <laughs> Madam President. I love that even better. <laughs> Which is awkward. Uh, yeah, uh, probably wouldn't want that call to my face, but I can see that <laughs> well, uh, being appropriate for me as well. But when you think about um, Haynes, it's such a big company with a rich history. Do you feel a lot of pressure in your in your role? Because often CEOs aren't allowed this, this – they're supposed to be seen to be resilient and, you know, above all the pressure. And how does that play out for you in your everyday working life?
0: You're not a leader of an organisation if you don't feel the pressure and the burden of a protecting the baton that was handed to you in the first place and obviously making sure that you hand it over to the next person with all that beautiful legacy still intact. So that just comes with the territory. I'm probably fairly fortunate because I think as an individual, I'm relatively resilient and I don't let things get to me too much. So I think I've just got that Mm -hmm. innate ability anyhow. But you're right, Paul, I think the best leadership these days is genuine, authentic leadership. I mean, we hear about authentic leadership all the time, but you know, the, the most important thing we can kind of leave that the next generation of leaders that are coming yes. through is that quite frankly, we do not have all the answers. Mm. And, you know, me as sort of the latter part of my career, particularly with the way technology is advancing, like I really will not have the answers. So I try and lead by being sort of really open to the influence of others is yeah. ultimately it's captain's call. You have to make decisions, but I think you've got to be Open to ideas, and you just and and just being comfortable with not knowing at all, yeah. and I, and I think like I'm a huge believer in context for teams as well, yeah. And so when things aren't going well, you've got to be sort of honest about them. Like you've got to inspire them with a bit of hope, not fear, but you do have to sort of lay it out in terms of what the challenges are, and you know, kind of share that with the team because. More often than not, those answers will come from from amongst the ranks. And if things aren't going particularly well for me on a particular day, you know, I won't try and force it. I'll just kind of be like, you know, it's just it's not the most amazing of days for me. And yes. you know, again, context is kind of everything, and people kind of know where you're at. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, that's really what authentic leadership. Is all about, is it? About sharing the problem, yep. at least being um, making sure people are clear what you're dealing with yeah. and that they understand that they're having an impact one way or the other. I- and
0: exactly. That, it's and a complex impact. world. Mm. We're living in a very complex world right now.
1: You spoke about your love of fashion and your passion for fashion and you spoke about your mother having a huge influence on you as a seamstress and I, I love those stories because I really love the craft in retelling. It's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I joined the industry was the romance and the, and the craftsmanship. D- did it develop for you – over time. You mentioned when you you stepped into the Burley role, you felt like it it was just like it was a place you were meant to be. Mm. Describe to me a little bit more around for those people listening that have that love, it may not have that heritage that you mentioned, why it's important for you, what fashion means to you.
0: Yeah, look, I think fashion, what I love about fashion, and I love it even more today, actually, because I think we've gone through decades where sort of fashion has been in a way kind of prescribed there's a trend you know very yes. discreet dis- distinct trends. What I love about passion is the ability for self-expression in whatever way that comes. And I think it's super exciting. I mean, I've got a 20-year-old daughter and and she is just treading her own path, right? And I love that about her. And I see that with all of friends, you know, they just don't feel the same level of burden that we might've felt back in the day. And so I think it is all about self-expression. I mean, uh, there's, uh, you know, creativity is just... Again, something that I hold really in high regard. I love creative, creativity. I love innovation. And so, and, and the storytelling that yes. comes with fashion as well, because I think, you know, really amazing brands have got beautiful stories to tell and fashion brands mm-hmm. particularly have amazing stories to tell, whether that's 10 year, they're 10 years old or a hundred years old, yes. you know, it doesn't really matter. So I think that's the reason why it sort of floats. You know, ticks so many boxes yeah. for me. Um, it's kind of structured, but it's not structured. Yeah. You know, it's creative, but it's also disciplined. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of sort of juxtapositions, I think, in fashion, yeah. which makes it so interesting and vibrant.
1: Yeah, because because you, you think of it this way, I guess uh, the current generation has probably got more homogenised choices because we've gone more to brands that are more available and accessible. But in fact, the In many ways, the internet's given them and social media's given people much more ability to express themselves because they were able to be well researched. Whereas our research back in the day were just from visiting a physical store. Absolutely. Or a magazine cover. Or a magazine cover. So in fact, they've got all these choices of information they can express themselves through research, I guess. Yeah.
0: I think it's, I think it's really, really powerful. And also, I think just the fact that I think this generation are, you know, they just, they don't, They don't seem to care as much about, you know, doing something that doesn't quite fit Mm. the norm. And that is like, that's just amazing. Like you wouldn't want to change that at all. I I think social media is often lambasted for all the reasons, you know, for the reasons we know. But it also, I think it just, it's it opens up so many doors for young people today.
1: I agree completely now you spoke a little bit about mentoring and the importance of that for you mm. when you think about mentors in your life has there been just one at a time or has it been a combination of many people
0: oh, i think it's a combination of many people actually paul i mean I talk about my mum being the seamstress and this love of uh, love of fashion you know my dad was an engineer and wor- you know led a business he was very successful in his own right so I had the left brain and the right brain he mm. was a massive influence and so I think this is where kind of, I I sort of knew from a young age that I wanted to be a leader of sorts. My dad was a very, you know, kind of Typical leader of his time, pretty right? Hu- not authentic, pretty hard nosed. Had to have the answers <laughs> to everything, and I probably heard him yelling a lot at people. But he was a, you know, he he would stick up for anybody sure. if they needed sticking up for. So I had this kind of combination of things going on in my life, which I think, you know, I was incredibly lucky to to, to have. So I knew that I wanted to lead, and then I had, you know, this sort of creative side of me. Um, I I think sometimes you know there are people who are really explicit mentors yes. and there's a few that I am that I think of that were really explicit mentors that you know kind of saw my potential and tapped me on the shoulder and said you sh- you know I'd like you to think about this role and it- and I'll say something that I don't wish it to come across as very gender biased, but I did the typical female thing. Oh, no, 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 that, there's no way I could do that role. So yes. if it weren't for the belief of some of those people, yeah. I probably, you know, wouldn't have advanced where I've got to. And then I think there's also sort of this idea that, there are also quiet mentors in your life and you don't quite know they're in your corner until mm. sometimes after the fact yes. and you go, Gosh, I learned so much or from them. You look back on your career. Or I you look back that. on your career yep. and you are, Yep, actually you were probably responsible for that yep. little window of my life. So, you know, I think mentors come in all sorts of shapes and mm. sizes and you've got multiples at one time and might be a bit of a gap, and then one very important person. Let's
1: talk a little bit about that gender bias because I think it's interesting. Because um, in my career, I've been a big promoter of women, uh, yeah. uh, generally yeah. around uh, diversity and inclusion. But I've seen it this issue amongst many, many women, very rarely in men. Why do you think this is so?
0: Look, it's it's really hard to hard to know. I think maybe because women, you know, kind of feel the burden and feel. Guilt and are just so uh, there's just so much harder on themselves, mm. I think, and maybe that's because they're having to juggle so many different roles in their lives, yes. and they feel like they're not really kind of they don't have the Put space it anything, and time. Good at it, it yeah, anything, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I wonder whether it's all of that layering that just comes to bear, and you mm. just sort of think, no, I'm either not worthy or I'm not capable, capable of it. Nothing ventured, nothing no. nothing gained. If you've got somebody in your corner saying you can do it, then you know, provided Give it's it something you want. Yep. Yeah, give it a shot.
1: Yeah. So when you think back at your younger self, what advice would you be giving yourself now when you look back and you realise all that sort of imposter syndrome type mm-hmm. yeah. mentality that, it's, that that you put yourself through and you yeah. probably suffered as a result of it yeah. because, you you know, yeah. you were going through all that sort of mental torment. Yeah. What do you, what would you tell your younger self now if you think, look, think back?
0: Yeah, I think the thing that I would say to myself is, like, your career isn't a linear line And it's okay for it to zig and zag and sometimes go backwards on itself, if Mm -hmm. I can kind of draw a a metaphor and a parallel, and find find the learnings, not only the professional learnings, but really dig deep for the personal learnings through all of those kind of, you know, that, that sort of jumping around that you do. Again, I'll say something that I think is a well-stated thing that, you know, you learn through, you really learn through the hard times yes. and you don't learn as much through the good.
1: That's true. Good point. Um,
0: so, so, I think just kind of, again, if things aren't quite going to plan, dig deep, work out what the lessons are that that you're sort of being confronted by and also things Will eventually get better. Mm. <laughs> it won't stay. It won't stay crappy all the time. It will. It will get better. Yeah. Just put a bit of faith in that, Put a bit of faith in process. And look, mm. quite frankly, if something's not working out for you and you're really miserable, then
1: move on. Move on. <laughs> yeah. Accept the. Accept it. <laughs> yeah. And, accept and it. On. Exactly. So, so based on that, do you think Tanya? Do, do you have any specific motto or mantra that has defined your c- career? That uh, you know, I think you've sort of mm. summed that up fairly well. But is there yeah. something that sort of has resonated for you mm. through? your your entire career and more looking for wisdom to share?
0: Yeah. Oh, there's probably a couple that I've always sort of used and believed in. The first one, and I think it's even more important now, is progress, not perfection. And, you know, like I often see, I
1: love that one. I've only learned that recently, and oh. I've been recently using that with my team. But it's actually a really good point.
0: It's a great point in so many ways. Yeah. I mean, even if you think about today's day, day and age with the with the sort of challenges around sustainability, yes. the, the the way in which technology is moving, like you can invest in things that are redundant the day after you decide to sign the contract, yes. right? But it's about forward movement. So right. progress, not perfection, I think, is one that I've thought a lot about. I think there is another saying that I also really love. Has it really been a big one in my life? Maybe. Um, there's a saying that says, you know, in times of peace, prepare for, prepare for war and in times of war, prepare for peace. And I love those businesses and those leaders that always, those people that seem yeah. to zig when everybody else is zagging. You yes. go, why the hell are you doing that? And sure enough, it actually comes to, you know, it's it ends really up being, point. being a great decision. So sometimes it's okay to go against the grain. Mm. You know, you got to think a bit about that, but go against the grain because sometimes there's, there's risk in it, yes. but there's reward in it. And then it, my final one, which I do have lived a lot with, again, it's one from, I feels like my mum and dad are really.
1: <laughs> they've had a big impact They've on had a you. big
0: impact on me. I'm talking a lot about them. That's great. Anyhow, maybe I'm oversharing today, <laughs> but not to worry. The other thing my dad used to say to me is, and it was spoken very much. So for all your listeners out there who... You know, are very conscious of gender. Excuse this, because he was. This is coming from somebody in the nineteen seventies. Male, white male, right? Stereotype. Stereotype, but he used to say, he used to say, just leave a little bit for the next bloke. Interesting. Which you know, again, we try and we sometimes try and fight the battle and and win the you know win whatever it is, win at all costs. Sometimes it's okay to leave a little bit on the table for the next person.
1: Very very good point. Mm. Now you touched on sustainability, um, Mm. and we're going to talk about that a little bit because Haynes has received a lot of awards and recognition for sustainability efforts globally. How important is this to you? Is it a focus in the Australasian market given the job that you've got at hand?
0: It's a massive focus, right? And so I think Haynes Brands Inc., HBI as we call them out of the US, have done some fantastic things. And they've been on this journey for probably 10 or 12 years. It's been a
1: long journey. So they're ahead of us generally.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I think they are. Although I would say that Haynes Australasia are starting to – you know, kind of push into spaces that, you know, we're doing different things anyhow to the global business, but it's a really important focus for us as an organisation because quite frankly, it's becoming the ticket to play. It's what consumers expect of Mm. us. It's it's the right thing to do. It's, you know, there's just no getting away from this at, at all. When I think about our particular sustainability journey, I kind of liken when I, when I reflect on where we've been and where we've got to, it's a bit like when you're about to move house and you go, on Saturday, I'm going to start packing the house up. And that moment where you spend your Saturday walking around in circles, right, going, where the hell do we even start? Mm. You know, this feels really overwhelming. When I think about our journey, probably, probably for the first three or four years, it was a bit like just... Wandering around in circles trying to work out where on earth we started. And I did have a little bit of an epiphany moment in our business a couple of weeks ago because we have our, you know, quarterly steer co where we have all the leaders of, you know, the various sustainability efforts coming together and sharing kind of how we're going against our goals. And it was again, this is a few years in the making, but a couple of weeks ago when I saw all of the things that we'd achieved across every part of the organization, it was a real moment when I went, we're no longer walking around in circles in yes. the house. We're actually packing and we're, we're starting Maybe to make board. a difference. <laughs> we're making a difference across every part of the business, you know, people, planet, product. There's just so many things going on. And, you know, we've got our stated goals mm. and. Again, a couple of years ago, we'd have those goals stated and we'd look at them and go, how the hell are we going to get Mm -hmm. there? I think... Not that we're finding solutions to all of them, but we're getting more comfortable in saying, yes, there's a gap, but look at how far we've come. You know, yes, we just feels yes. like we're at that critical point yeah, right now yeah. where we're going, yep, we can see where we've it, come It's
1: from. almost like you've got to develop – you've got to be – you've got to have a roadmap so you know where you're heading, I guess. And it, the complexity is so great. And we – you know, uh, I know that in many ways Haynes brands have been involved in – from a leadership point of view from the US, but also have been active participants on the ARA yeah. advisory for sustainability. And that's important because if those of you listening that are still have just started your sustainability journey, hop on to www.retail.org.au under sustainability. We've got a whole series of resources. and We've been helping each other along the path. Can you sort of describe some of the things that may come to your desk, the complexity you deal with, you know, the greenwashing, and the... How do you work your way through all the different options and where do you go to to try and solve these problems?
0: Yeah, wow. Well, gosh, that's a, that's a very complex the complex question. The greenwashing, we've got to be a bit careful that it doesn't, you know, there's a lot of talk about green shushing at the moment. Right. Uh, this is a new term, okay. green shushing. And I, and I kind of like to think about green truthing, right? You know, yes. you've just got to be honest about what you're doing and where, it, where you're at and being honest about the gaps that exist. The biggest one probably is always in that conundrum around, you know, kind of the cost of sustainability yes. and the impact it has on your bottom line. But I think again, if you dig it, dig a bit, keep digging. We've got lots of examples where we've been able to push our sustainability agenda and improve the bottom line. Fantastic. You know, we're sort of big believers in the concept of lean in our organization. And so we've been able to find ways in which we can kind of deliver both. So that often is the biggest conundrum, yeah. I think, for any leader. I think managing the passion that teams have for sustainability and then what you can Talk about yes. is always a tension point, I think, as a leader. And again, I think we always err on the side of just truth, just say it as it is. And we're trying to talk a little bit more, not, not to really gain. I mean, sure, there's brand advantage when you talk more about it, but I think there's also, it's, it's incumbent on us as, you know, the, Bigger retailers to lead by example yes. and share what you're doing because then the, the, you know, so that the rest of the industry can really kind of get inspired by that and start to put, you know, their shoulder behind the wheel. So there's sort of, there's. It comes
1: that, back to your progress, not perfection type it of thing all because you sort back, of keep moving forward.
0: It, it, yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, there's always tension points, I think, with anything that is relating to uh, sustainable. I, I, I think if you. Also, as an organisation, if you've got a clearly articulated purpose, and we've got a clearly articulated purpose, bring everything back to that and go, okay, right, yeah, we do have a commercial business that we have to deliver. There's no yes. doubt about that. That's yes. just that, that's sort of the, the, the big obligation we have, but finding the areas where you can actually do both yes. is, is as a leader, what you have to kind of keep reminding everybody and bringing everybody back to.
1: Very good points there you're raising. Now, let's just talk a little bit about the future. What are your goals on a personal level, but even on a business perspective, when you think about the future at Haynes for you personally and professionally, what does that look like?
0: Well, it's always good if you can kind of combine combine the two. I really, I think I want to be able to sort of leave our organisation in a place where we are as known for The stuff that we do, particularly around people and planet. So we're not just about flogging stuff or having amazing brands. I'd like to think that we can actually break, you know, we're a, a business that has been built on product innovation. I'd also like to think that we can break some of the you know, implicit or explicit rules that exist. You know, I'm really – Bonds have done this uh, and are in the throes of a program called Ungenderware where we're trying to take gender out of what we do to the best of our – to the best of our ability. So where we can change, make some sort of lasting change that might inspire the rest of the industry to follow suit. So I think, you know – That's amazing. Personally, if we can kind of leave some of, leave some of those, um, those type of legacies in the industry, that would be amazing. Naturally, as a female, I really want to make sure that I do everything I can to role model and, you know, maybe inspire one, two, a dozen younger women that they could also follow their journey, whatever that looks yes. like, and, you know, be Madam President, as awkward <laughs> as that title <laughs> is. I'm now starting to spend a bit more of my time. I'm doing some mentoring in sort of the disability space, which i just started, starting to step outside of the work that Haynes is doing right. on its wrap and starting to kind of do a little bit of work with kind of First Nations organisations as well, just sort of pro bono. So, you know, that probably yes. is the stage I am at my career, yeah. what I really want to, Able give, to give back, give back, but really give back to some of those marginalised communities, you know, that have every right to be able to, you know, create amazing careers for themselves regardless of, you know, the personal situation.
1: Well, that's wonderful and probably a beautiful note to end. Thanks for joining us, uh, Tanya, for some retail therapy. Congratulations on all the work you're doing on the fashion scene and good luck in the coming years. Thanks, Paul. Great to be here. Thanks for joining me today for Retail Therapy in the Amex Lounge. If you haven't already, make sure you hit that follow button on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You won't want to miss an episode. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. If you're a new listener, you can find our back catalogue of new episodes over 50 now on our website. We've covered small business, sustainability, tech and innovation, and we even release a yearly Christmas mini series. For more information on what we do at the ARA, head to retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All of the links can be found in the show notes. I'd now like to welcome Kelly Taggart, CEO of Roses Only, to the Amex Lounge. Roses Only is a leading Australian-owned retailer for delivered premium flowers and gifts. Its passionate florists, friendly floral consultants and dependable delivery drivers have brought joy to millions of people all over Australia. Formed in 1995, it brings together 45 years of floristry experience and established 10 florist studios in major cities nationwide, as well as some partner florists. Kelly, thanks for joining me today.
2: Thanks, Paul. Nice to be here.
1: Since its inception in 1995, Roses Only would have witnessed a lot of change and development in the floristry business. What are some of the ways you've innovated and evolved the business?
2: Yes, we've uh, certainly seen a lot of changes since 1995. Uh, Back then I think uh, you would have been going into a physical florist shop to buy your flowers and these days you have a lot of options where you can buy online, whether it's uh, through your mobile phone, either calling someone and talking to a real person or buying online through your phone or your laptop. So it really um, provides a lot of advantages there in ways that, You can order in all manner of types. We've even had someone that has called in while they were riding a horse uh, and ordered flowers on their way to whatever it was that they were doing, riding a horse. Would you believe it? So I guess – Back then also, first when we were online, payment options, uh, there wasn't many available. So I think we only had one payment option available. And then it's been with the likes of relationships like American Express that we've been able to really diversify those payment options for customers. And even now, uh, recently, we've been able to roll out uh, pay with points for American Express. So you can pay with your credit card points to buy your flowers, which we think is really cool. So I guess the evolution of social media has also impacted our industry quite a bit. The way that we market to customers online, uh, the rise of Google AdWords um, is a major part of the floral industry. Knowing where you want to deliver something and being able to search for flower delivery to Sydney or flower delivery to Brisbane, that's generally been on the rise since um, online has increased. Uh, And also being understanding of how we can impact uh, the environment um, with more sustainable floristry as well. And I guess over the last 15 years, we've really focused on being a data-driven company and using that data to make sure that we're not creating the waste in the first place. So making sure that we're buying what we need for when we need it, for when our customers want it, which I'm sure you can imagine is a really difficult task. Uh, We have about 100 different types of flowers and greenery that we manage throughout the year. Um, so you can imagine the complexity that goes with that. And we've been able to get our wastage down to around 2 to 3% overall, which I think is pretty fantastic. Apart from that, though, we're always looking at ways that people are doing things internationally and talking to our local flower farms to see what other sort of uh, business practices we can adopt as well.
1: From before the days of the pandemic until now, what kind of patterns have you noticed in customer behaviour and how has this impacted the way you future-proof your business?
2: I think not much has changed in the way that people still want things really fast and really reliably. But we were already investing in our digital infrastructure for, our, um, for all of our warehouses around the country. And then when the pandemic hit, we saw a volume really increase. So people were, they couldn't visit their loved ones. They really wanted to send a message of love to people and we saw that really expand and that was a really beautiful thing to be a part of. So, this meant that the advancement that we've had in our technical and digital capabilities through reliable and scalable digital practices meant that we could really provide great customer service to people uh, and reliable delivery. So, I guess with more customers looking at buying online, that's meant that we've had a much more expanded customer base to talk to. And uh, thankfully, uh, they've had a really good experience with us and they've been able to experience our brand and how wonderful it is to send flowers to someone and hear the smile on someone's face when they call you or send you a message. And that's definitely driven, driven a lot of uh, customer growth and repeat customers post-pandemic. So, that's been really great for us.